This is Flyperbole with Steve Jacot and Craig Forsyth. Hello, quarantine pals, friends, associates, <laughs> whatever we call our fellow, you know, high flyers fans. It's me, was, Steve. This is Craig. That was a strong entrance. That was that was one of the best opens we've ever had. You know, for the fuck, yeah, that was great. That's great. I I haven't lost my mind at all. Not no, at all. we're all completely sane. We're all cool. It, it's cool, baby. We're all good. I yeah. left in perhaps the I left the house twice today, and the first time was in perhaps the the best you know our, the best outfit I've ever had in my life, where I had uh, sweatpants, a sleeveless t shirt, uh, workout shirt that is, uh, gloves, oh, a band, an Eagles bandana, and a backwards hat and sunglasses. <laughs> so I looked like a psychopath. I was going to say, you sound like a maniac. That's uh, that's one hell of a giddy-up. That is so, a, that is a giddy-up yeah. where I both want to get the sun on my arms, but also not touch anyone with my hands directly. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that's the reasoning for the gloves, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I did not leave my place today. Well, I was picking up. I was picking up food in particular. So, I, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. When was the last time did you go out yesterday? Yeah, I think. Wait, that did I go out Sunday? Leaving the house. Okay. Stay I mean, you know, I do a lap here and there. <laughs> <laughs> I try to leave the yeah, house fair. once a day with minimal human contact, and yeah. I make. I have been. Uh, yeah, I've just been doing the Instacart. That's the only reason I've been. Leaving the house. Although I did leave yesterday, I had to go pick up more uh, soap yesterday and found it somehow. Uh, I found like some kind of shitty hand wash with uh, jasmine was the uh, yeah. So there, you go. that's all that was left. It was like there's no regular soap left. It's all the fancy stuff that nobody really wants to buy, but is there. I feel like this should be the time that like managers of stores should realize what they don't need to buy anymore of. Like if there's not if there's something that's been sitting on the shelf during all this and it hasn't moved. You don't need to buy that ever again. Do you know what I mean? Like it's you, you can save money that way. You don't need to stock up on that anymore. You don't need to. Yeah, you're done. You, you, no more. Yeah, people obviously. Money. There's a, a global pandemic is not making people buy this. You don't need to stock it on the shelves anymore. You're good. <laughs> so toilet paper is the most necessary. People really like that. Yeah, they apparently they need that almost daily. So that yeah, that's a big one. I still I. I mean, I still haven't had to go out and actually buy more toilet paper. I've been lucky with the uh, my original uh, the stuff I had stored away before all this, so I have yet to go out there and look for toilet paper. I'm kind of nervous. I'm good on toilet paper. My my one thing I'm having trouble with right now is paper towels because they mm, it's gotten yeah. to the point now where I'm just finding individual rolls and you can only buy one at a time. And uh-huh. I, I guess I'm gonna have to start using like towels over and over again more often like in my house just washing yeah, yeah, them yeah. all the time because <laughs> you know i'm pretty careless with that shit i guess with paper towels I, I i never realized how many i went through until now when i can't you. find a double pack to save my life <laughs> that is kind of true i think i do go through uh paper towels too as well but uh, i've uh I don't know, but I, I'm fine on that front as well. It's going to become an issue soon. It's we're all coming up on it. I think of uh, running out of stuff. Masks, toilet paper, paper. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's the, the big three right there. So yeah, well, yeah. we're not here to talk about uh, we are diminishing not. supplies. We are not here to talk about that today. Not at all. We are here to talk about a single flyers topic, as we have been doing on Fly Purpley under quarantine. And if you look at our previous episodes, we talked about the worst flyers of the last decade, and we talked about the we ranked all the jerseys all time in mm-hmm. uh, Flyers history. Yeah. So go back, check out that tangy tent. Today's topic, we are here to talk about the biggest what-ifs of the last decade for the Flyers. And when it comes to what-ifs, I know the the biggest one that always comes to mind with Flyers fans. There's a couple. I mean, um, obviously the the tragedy of uh, Pelly Lindbergh is a big one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Always a big one. one. Always close to our hearts and our minds. And that's that's a huge one. I mean, his passing was a, a... a big moment in Flyers history. Uh, the other one that comes to mind is the Eric Lindros trade. Uh, if the Rangers had won that trade, if the Flyers had not made that trade and held on to specifically Peter Forsberg is the, the piece people always think about. Uh, it's a very different Flyers team in the nineties that we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And that changes the entire landscape of the league too, because uh, may have not been another team uh, challenging the Red Wings out there in the West. So yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, that would have been, yeah, that would have been a, a hell of a, that would have just sh- shaken out the whole league if uh, Forsberg had stayed in Philly and Lindros went to New York. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's one are... of the biggest ones, but we could talk, we could probably dedicate an entire show to just tracking what would have happened to the league if things had happened differently then. Yeah. We're yeah. not here to talk about that today, though. We're here to talk about the past decade of Flyers hockey. And there are uh, quite a number of what ifs of this very, very mediocre decade that we have uh, just been witnesses to. <laughs> just endured, yeah. Yeah, started out with a bang, and then it's kind of been a, a little okay since like 2013. But uh, we still, a lot of what ifs are, out, are thrown out there. Uh, could have changed the trajectory of the franchise. And uh, I mean, Steve, how do you want to do this? You want to go one by one, or do you, you want me to write think- off all these? I think we should go one by one. I think we should okay. dissect and then, so we'll, we'll do this kind of like we did with the worst players where we dissect everything and then we'll, we'll try to recap. It. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking yeah. just do like a top five at the end of it. And I, you know, that's we'll, we'll yeah. put a little bow on this podcast and call it a day. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, and we have come up with 18 and we're going. So just for the clarity on the time frame, we're going from 2010 on. So everything from the year 2010 to now, uh, another thing we listed here, which counted as one of the 18, so we won't talk about, but the, what if Carcillo didn't fight Talbot in game six of the 2009 series against the Penguins? Flyers are up 3 nothing. Briere just scored to make it three, uh, put the Flyers up 3 nothing, and then Talbot challenges Carcillo to a fight. Carcillo beats the shot out of Talbot, but that was a turning point in the game. Penguins come back. You know, what if Carcillo just says no, skates away? Flyers win that game. Do they win Game Seven? Do the Penguins? I think the Flyers yeah. lose that yeah. game regardless. You think so? I think so. I, I, I can't think, pin it all on that fight. I think pinning it all on that fight is foolish. I think they would have won that game. I don't think it's a guarantee they would have won the series because they would have had to gone. They would have had to have gone back to Pittsburgh and won in Pittsburgh. I think the Penguins may have still come out on top of that one. Uh, it really, I, to me, that one just opens up the idea of if they do. Because you know they were up three nothing in the middle of the second before Carcillo fought. They yeah, just made Carcillo win in a fight. That doesn't that that no, doesn't no, no, change no, no, the whole no. game. Right, right, right. But I mean, like if he, 
Uh, you know, if he just doesn't, I don't know. Like he could. I'm not pinning it on him either. I'm just throwing it out there as like a what if because they that is the the turning point. That was the turning point in that series, or that's something people point to that kind of changed the that series. And then the Penguins went on to win the Stanley Cup that year. So if they don't win the Cup that year, they don't have a they don't have a Stanley Cup uh, with Crosby and Malkin. And there are a couple years there, 2013, 14, where uh, the Penguins got a little crazy and they were throwing out ideas of uh, possibly moving Malkin, or at least the city sounded like they were throwing out that idea. And then they had to decide who they wanted to bring in uh, after Shiro and it was Sullivan. And there are a lot of things that could have changed. A lot of timelines of the Penguins organization that could have changed if the Flyers somehow win that game in game seven. But it's a big, it's a leap to conclusion that they win that series. And like you're pointing out, yeah, that they even win the, um, that they even would have won that game six either. But he didn't even win the fight. You know, fuck Max. Powell. He didn't win the fight. <laughs> fuck him. I think he had his best production in a season with the Flyers too. <laughs> fuck him. But fuck him. Yeah, pretty much fuck fuck Max Alvarez is what the, the point of this podcast is. Um, first on our list though, I have uh, what if Peter Laviolette doesn't pull Borowski in game two of their series against the Sabres in 2011. Borowski! This was the Flyers lost game one, won the nothing. Uh, the second game, I think Drew opens the scoring, and then the Sabres score three times in the first. Laviolette pulls Bob. Uh, Boucher goes in. And then pretty much uh, just the uh, the goaltending carousel just happens for those two series in the postseason. And then that leads to Ed Snyder telling Holmgren he needs a goalie. They go out and get Briz, which leads to uh, the trading of uh, Richards and Carter. So what if... What if Laviolette just rides rides out with Borowski there? Do you think do you think they win that game? And then do you think they would even be able to go on to win the series? And if they kept Bob and Nett, I think the question is if they kept Bob and Nett for that whole series and they end up losing to the Sabres, does uh, Schneider still go out and say I need a goalie? Right. I it's a big what if, and it's one I have thought about before because that the fact that they didn't go back to him and, and show him that uh, the confidence at the end of the day that bothered me as a Flyers fan, especially somebody who was a big fan of what Bobrovsky brought to the table that year. And the, the goaltending carousel was ridiculous, especially the fact yeah, that it was, it was with Boucher and Leighton of all people. Leighton. And, yeah. And Michael who like, Michael who Leighton. I, I think he played one regular season game that year. And then they brought him up in three minutes of the mix in the postseason, And he was in that, I'm pretty sure he played in Buffalo in game six and it was, uh, yeah, it, that became, that's like if Nick Foles, every game he had won in the postseason for the Eagles was just like the Falcons game where he just like, <laughs> he did enough to get the Eagles to win. Like if, if Nick Foles had done just enough to get the Eagles, the wins and then lost tragically in the Super Bowl, thank God that didn't happen. Uh, yeah, thank God. and then the Eagles went back to him at their most pivotal moment the next season. Like that would yeah, be exactly. the comparison. Yeah. yeah, it was just insane. And also, I mean, this is for this was pretty much the decision that ended Borowski's time as a starter in Philadelphia. And that's a whole thing where he may be at the end of his window of being an elite goalie now, or at least he had a bad year this year. But if he had stayed in Philly and the Flyers had his best years with teams that I, you know, none of them were powerhouses, none of them were good, but a couple of those teams, if you give them top end goaltending, some of the best goaltending in the league, they could have had, they could have 
they would have won a couple postseason series between 2012 and now, I think. Well, and they I, may have had a deep run in one of those postseasons. I think we can just bring this right into the next topic, which is what if Holmgren doesn't trade Richards and Carter? And yeah. I'm not even going to put the before signing Briz part in there because that's a whole other matter. But if they hold on to Bobrovsky, stick with him as the starter, and then they keep Richards and Carter, and you still have Claude Giroux. And yeah, yeah. You're looking at a very, very different Flyers team, which is deep down the middle. And because Claude Giroux is poor, I mean, because you've got what? You've got Carter, you've got Briere, you've got Giroux, you've got Richards. Yeah. Drew's probably playing playing wing. wing. Yeah, somebody was playing on the wing there. So, yeah, uh, yeah, or you just put Pierre and Drew on the wing in the top six. And uh, there you go. Or Carter on the wing, I guess. But yeah, no, that, yeah, exactly. They would have had. Now, that would have, that would lead into the idea of Holmgren, you know, managing the salary cap with all those star players on the roster. And, uh, I don't know, he, you know, he kind of had the tendency to uh, do crazy ass shit and try and do things, you know, like the Drew for Paul Ranger deal. And then I saw one today. We were, I was going to, I mean, know this. We were talking about the pervs, but uh, there's something about Claude Drew maybe have been uh, getting traded to the Panthers for Craig Anderson at one point in time back in the day. Ooh. So, like, those are things that apparently there were some merit to them because, you know, Holmgren was the one in charge. Like, the Paul Ranger one, that's the one I always think of when they talk, when people talk about keeping Richards and, and Carter because it feels like it would have been. It feels like, and the same with what if, oh, that's another one. What if the Flyers had won the 2007 draft lottery? That's outside of the the time frame. But that's another one that people point to, and it would have been a, uh, well, Holmgren would have had to manage the cap with Richards, Carter, Patrick Kane. That might be the know, third biggest ground. what if in Flyers history. I think, yeah, I think so, yeah, because then, you know, that guy goes and fucking beats you on the cup. And that's kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of a big thing. That's a slap comes. in the goddamn face. Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I... I mean, Richards and Carter, I think that would have been – I mean, I think Richards would have stayed here his entire career. I think Carter, one way or another, would have been traded maybe not that summer. Like, he would have been traded shortly after, I think. There were rumors about moving Carter before they did that day. Uh, and it makes sense that they, they, they would have moved him maybe, you know. Oh, yeah, there were Carter rumors for a long, long time. Like, the real shocker was Richards there. Uh, and I mean, both of them were shockers because they had just signed big deals, but yeah. Carter was one that at least he was in the rumor mill a bunch. Richards was just a shocker. He's the captain of your team. He's a guy that he was polarizing for sure. He was polarizing. Uh, half the fan base loved him and half thought, oh, I didn't have enough heart. He's no, he's no Chris Pronger. Pronger should be the captain. Party's too much is what I heard a lot. Just part. It just didn't care. He just wanted to go out and, you know, live it up. Have a little, uh, little fun with the nose candy is what I always heard at games. Well, yeah, that was yeah. I mean, one of well, the biggest complaints. Yeah, especially so. because the media kept reporting on it, and you know, you also, I'm sure a lot of people went to Temple University or any Philadelphia University around that time probably has a few Richards and Carter stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so that, um, yeah, so I mean, if they, if they end up staying, they don't bring in Briz, and you know, we're looking at Richards, Carter, Drew. With Bob and that, and honestly, Bravowski's rookie year was pretty incredible. I don't even remember what his numbers were, but I, I remember him making at least one ridiculous save every single night. And I remember some saves from that 2010-11 season that I, I still don't know how he made a couple of those saves. And I don't think he got, I don't think he got a ton of credit for how well he played that rookie season 
and then kind of how he just went to the back burner in 2011-12. Right. He, quietly he, left town. Like, it... Yeah. He comes over to America, first time playing at that level, and frankly has to deal with the Flyers. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And made his way and earned the starting role and did pretty damn good during that season. Yeah, so... There was there was reason to believe he could have been good. Maybe not, you know, it would have been hard to say he was going to win two Vesnas. But still, you saw the potential there, and to just kind of, you know, shoot it down real quick. It, yeah. Anyway, uh, I mean, this one you this is a pretty good one. This is one you added. Yeah, let's make this nineteen because I thought of one of the biggest ones just. Now. Yeah, this is a big one. That yeah. Uh, what if Holmgren had actually gotten Shea Weber with that offer sheet? So I believe Flyers, you know, gave Shea Weber an offer sheet. They uh, Predators ultimately matched it, but I believe if the Flyers had gotten Shea Weber, they would have had to have given up their next four first or four first round picks. Yeah. So they they would have signed him in 2012. So it would have been 2013, 2014, 2015, and 2016. So you're looking at no Marin, Sanheim, Provorov, or Rupsov. Uh, there's only one guy or there's two guys I'm missing out of that batch. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. So that would have been, and also it's the idea of, uh, they wouldn't have the prospects and they also wouldn't have, I mean, they would have Shea Weber's contract on the book. So you're looking at other, other guys that just aren't going to be on this team. Right. But as far as the, the big factor here is the win now factor. And, that yeah. makes the Flyers an instant contender again and solidifies their defense and gives yeah. them somebody who can stand up to to Crosby, Malkin, and Ovechkin, those guys. Yeah. Yeah, and also, actually, this, I mean, this leads into another... Well... Just, just get back to another what-if. I want to I wanna talk about Shea Weber a little bit more first. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Just yeah. because that is... That is another, I mean, honestly, this might be the fourth biggest what if in Flyers history, because that really does so dramatically change the last decade of Flyers hockey for, for better or for worse. We'll never know, but it makes that team at the time that much better, makes their defense that much better. And I, I, I would like to think, I mean, you still have goaltending problems at that point because you've already made the Briscoe move and he disaster disaster yeah also that 2013 team really did suck pretty bad 2013-14 team wasn't i guess spectacular either but if you plop shea weber and on on either of those blue lines they probably i mean they're a different team i don't know how he would have i mean i i think it was still i'm still glad they didn't match it I know some of those names weren't inspiring, but no Sanheim and no Proveroff and Weber on the books for a while. Uh, I think that would have been, I think this franchise looks different. And I think, uh, I don't think, I don't think Holmgren would still be here, but. Um, I mean, it depends on how it works out, to be honest. It depends on how much better he makes the, the Flyers uh, defense look. I mean, so, okay, I'm looking now at the, the 12 to 13 roster. So, Shea Weber, the offer sheet came the summer 2012, right? Right, yeah. So, he would have been on the roster for 12 to 13. Brzezgala still would have been there. Uh, I think they make the Steve Mason trade during the 12 to 13 season. They do. Yeah, so, yeah. essentially, the question is, 
would the presence of Shea Weber uh, have really made that team that much better to make Brizgalov look better? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question <laughs> because uh, Brizgalov in Philadelphia was just uh, did not look good the whole time. It just wasn't a good situation all around. I don't know. That's the thing with those blue lines where those it's like those blue lines were so terrible. I but they still had Teeman and Coburn on them. So if you had if you have Weber, Teeman, and Coburn, that might be passable enough. He can fill in the other three spots with warm bodies and might be able to limit the chances against Brisgalv enough that that team is actually somewhat competitive. I don't know. I mean, we're I, I don't think. So it'd be I mean, what, the, Weber, Luke Shen, Kimo oh Timonen, yeah, Coburn, yeah, Braden Shen. Oh, I'm sorry, Braden Shen's not a defense. What am I talking about? Coburn, Braden Coburn. I got my my Braden's mixed up there for a second. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> Braden Coburn Shen. Yeah, it's all it's Braden, all Coburn, way too many of the same names. Yeah. Terrible band. Uh, the worst band out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the I I mean, do you do you think they won a cup in those years? Because I think, like, yeah, I think that's the question. Because then you don't get the benefit of addressing any of the needs that you have with draft picks either. Um, and again, they could have they could have probably done a little bit better with their 2016 pick. In hindsight, uh, not dunking on Roops off yet, but there are a couple other names there, I guess. Um, I think we can dunk on and, the germ. Yeah, we can we can dunk on the germ a little. Uh, but you know, Proveroff and Sandheim are pretty big. Those were those are pretty big pulls out of those drafts, especially against Sanheim where they did um, the middle of the, the first round. And Provorov was a top ten pick, but it wasn't. I, I don't think it was certain that the Flyers were going to go towards Provorov, uh, especially back then. There are a lot of talks about Lawson and Kraus, which I would have. I, I think would have lost like my mind the, over. But here's the thing: in retro, I thought at the time the Lawson and Kraus talk was just because people were like, "Well, the Flyers like big guys." Animal. Yeah, same old Flyers. It was a, yeah, yeah, it was the same old Flyers reputation thing rather than yeah. an actual, like... Well, see, my... I, I didn't actually hear any substantial rumors saying that, and it was, I think, that was Hextall's first draft, right? It was, yeah. No, that was, uh, was Hextall's second. second. Yeah, Hextall's second. second draft, yeah. But, like, I don't remember any substantial rumors saying, well, they're going to, you know, but whatever. Yeah, that right, that was right, the media yeah. talk. But the thing is also... If Shea Weber makes the team that year better, they probably don't get a pick that high. It's also true. So also I don't, true. I don't know. There's th- that, but it's such a big what if, right? Because then they lose. That's a pretty bit. That's a pretty good what if. Regardless, uh, they don't get Provorov. Provorov's not falling to them in the second round. There's just not a chance in hell that happens. No, 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 no. The the Shea Weber, the, the what if the Flyers got Shea Weber though? I think that's a uh, that might end up being a top five what if. That's a pretty good one. I am out. In your humble, um, humblest opinion. In my most humblest opinion. I did, uh, but this goes, I was going to try to link it up to the other point I got down here now. The what if Pronger didn't get concussed. I mean, that's kind of like the same type thing, is it not? Well, there's, I mean, there's a couple that go hand in hand with this one because there's also, we can talk, you know what, I've got another one that I want to add. Uh, oh, baby. Yeah, yeah. But let's talk about Pronger not getting concussed because, I mean, they don't, I don't think they even like bat an eye at Shea Weber if Chris Pronger is healthy. Yeah, I don't think they do either. And I think if he had been healthy, well, maybe they bat an eye because I mean, frankly, that is 
we talk about guys that are prototypical flyers, right? Like Wayne Simmons, when he came yeah. to the flyers, you're like, well, this is a fucking Philadelphia flyer right here. Uh, yeah, Shea and Weber. Shea Weber seemed like that. But the thing is, Chris Pronger seemed like that. And Chris Pronger was a hell of a damn flyer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, well, 2011, too, he was also hurt a lot. Like the 2010 11 season, he was hurt quite a bit. And uh, so even if he doesn't get, even if he doesn't take Grabowski's stick to the, to the eye in 2011, I don't know how much more he has left in the tank. Like, I don't think it's a thing where if he says he doesn't get that concussion, he's got like four more years left. It kind of felt like a thing where we were slowing down, but it could have been something where if he had been healthy, like they don't even think about going towards Shea Weber uh, just because of the, the cap situation. And they do have Pronger on the blue line and they might want to address some other stuff. But um yeah, I mean, I think that one's a, I think that one's a pretty big one. Pretty much with that one, it's just whether or not, I think it's just whether or not, like how much longer Pronger had after, how much longer he would have played if he didn't get hit in the face with a Grabowski stick. So, and I don't, I mean, it's kind of hard to gauge that, but there's not really too much of like a future impact that he had on uh, on getting hurt there. I mean, it was the well, it was the, it was the 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 contract too the contract ended up being a pain in the ass on the books for years after that so that may have been you that was know, one of Hextall's best moves was getting rid of that contract yeah yeah and um so but again if he was I mean if he was healthy they, he would have been he was a force he was a force he made yeah. that defense better just by his his mere presence yeah but yeah. on the other hand there was always the talk of you know what were those? Remember when Brzezgalov was talking trash a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, where he was saying like, you know, nobody led in that locker room. Pronger didn't leave. Oh yeah, like, that's right. Or well, yeah. no, not Richard. Richard wasn't there, but like Drew didn't He's leave. Pronger true, didn't leave. Yeah. And yeah, like Pronger was always. Don't get me wrong. I love Chris Pronger, and he is one of my favorite friggin' flyers I've gotten to watch because he was such a force. But there were always the the media talk. There was always the media talk about you know, who actually led that, that team Richards or Pronger. Uh, and I don't know. It's, it's always like, was it actually a divided locker room or is that just media trying to stir the pot? You know, it's, there's no way yeah. to know, but it was, it's a big question. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it's definitely, uh, yeah, he was not, it's easy to see him maybe not being, uh, the easiest guy to get along with in the locker room potentially, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, the other one you added to is good too. I, uh, I, I thought about adding it. I mean, I should have just added. It. What if Hongren didn't trade JVR for Luke Shen? Yeah, I think that's a big one too. Um, well, because yeah. so Luke Shen, they added they added Luke Shen. They thought he would have been a, an answer on the blue line, and it really wasn't. And there are a couple. Apparently, there are a couple other avenues that could have gone with uh, trading JVR for a blue liner. I think. Uh, there are rumors about Keith Yandel being available too. God, so like if they had gotten so Keith Yandel. Yeah, yeah, uh, but they were pretty gung ho about getting a, a shutdown defenseman. Um, Which I, 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 this is one of the I, I would say the most frustrating moves for me, the Bavrovsky move and yeah. this one because this one just didn't make sense. Like it, just it made sense as in they wanted to shut down defenseman, but we all knew Luke Shen sucked. We all knew he was yeah. slow and plotting and a, a bygone era of defenseman. It just didn't make any sense whatsoever no. at the time. And that was, that was, you know, why the flyers had this reputation of same old flyers, classic flyers kind of move. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, my thing. Uh, so it was, it was a trading a, a need for need, but obviously the Flyers got boned and just the one for one aspect of that because JVR was uh, a lot better. I think too, the whole thing was trading Richards and uh, Carter away was the Holmgren pointed out Giroux and JVR as being the next two guys that kind of, you know, carry the load for the Flyers over the next couple of years, and then they had one season of them. And then uh, he traded with JVR. <laughs> for... What drove me nuts about it was the fact that JVR had remember that the Bruins sequel series, right? Oh where my the, god, the yeah, where he went he, nuts. He went nuts. He was freaking game unbelievable. Two. Yeah, game two. If anybody has wants to go back and watch that, he could have legitimately had four or five goals in that game. He <laughs> had so many scoring chances, and had two. I believe he had two. He had two goals that game, but he. He was a force, and uh, that's probably the game a lot of people look at and say, "Where the fuck is that all the time?" From JVR, <laughs> but he uh, he was doing fine this year. But that is goal scores are streaky. Yeah, but the, the, uh, the thing is, then the Flyers would struggle with depth and goal scoring after that. Right, that's the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. and Luke Shen was never good on defense. He won a couple fights, great, but like, can you name a good play that Luke Shen ever made defensively off the top of your head? I can't. Uh, no. No, and I mean, he was, yeah, he was just a liability out there and uh, just terrible getting the puck out of the zone. He was a guy that was physical but couldn't harness his physicality uh, correctly, like a, like a Robert Hack type. So a lot, of, a lot of hitting, but just not really effective hitting. Yeah, Luke Sean was not not good at the hockey <laughs> at, at all, really. And uh, JVR being here would have been a big help. Yeah, yeah. So the next one I wanted to discuss here is let's talk i want to talk about hmm, actually let's let's talk about yager now let's talk about if they re-sign yeah. yager because right. we're talking about wing wing depth we're talking about scoring depth and uh, so yarmir yager comes on they make the richardson carter trades they make the brisgaloff move they made a big friggin' splash and they also brought yarmir yager back to the nhl after he had been in the he was in the khl for a few years right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and this was a move that people kind of like were baffled by when this happened. Some people were excited. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was baffled. I'm like, what the hell is Yaramir Yager at? How old was he when he came back? Oh God. Late thirties. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't just given that. the age, how long you've been away from the NHL. It made no sense to make this move, to bring him back to the NHL. And, I was just baffled by this. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, and I thought this team was going to be a disaster. And Yager was tremendous. Uh, him, yeah. His chemistry with Drew and Hartnell Hart. was unbelievable, and he was just such a good fit for this team, the city. It was it was awesome. And then we couldn't believe it when they didn't bring him back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was a one-year test run. He was on the top line. That top line thrived. Drew had 93 points, was in the running for the heart. Hartnell looked great. I think he had 36 goals that year. A ton of goals. Yager was a huge reason for a lot of their success. And uh, they had they had the capability to bring him back, and it just didn't. And, uh, yeah, then two years later, three years later, Raffles on the top line, and Yager's still out there playing in the league. So it was a thing where they bring him back. Uh, that top line's attacked for a while, and then it leads to the discussion of another move uh, about a player on that top line. But if you know if Yager's still around, that 
the potential Hartnell for Umberger trade maybe isn't even thought about because the top line played so well. Yeah. Can't wait to get to that one. Let me tell you. Uh, yeah. I, I want to get to that one, but first I wanted to talk. I, I kind of wanted to close out the La Violette era oh, because yeah. that is, I mean, there is another, a couple topics from that era, but I think at this juncture, I really want to talk about La Violette and when he went and it just, Given yeah. the, the timing on that move, and so Peter Laviolette was fired after three games, and it was it was after one of the worst training camps that most Flyers beat writers had ever seen. That's what they say. Yeah, that is uh that is that's when it came, and then they came out and looked like shit in the first three games, and uh, Schneider, Holmgren, and company had wasted no time, and. Uh, Got rid of him, Laviolette, three games in the season and brought in Craig Ruby. Craig Ruby had never been behind an NHL bench. And uh, this was his first taste, 79 games. Did pretty good, helped the Flyers get into a playoff position. Took the Rangers to seven games, the team that ultimately went to the Cup for the Eastern Conference. And then uh, Ruby was around for 2014-15 before he got fired. But if... Yeah, I mean, if Laviolette was fired before 20... If he was fired after the lockout-shortened season, Craig Berube never gets a chance to coach, I think. I don't think there's any way that they would have... If they had given a full like search for a head coach, I don't think they would have landed on Craig Berube being the head coach. And if Craig Berube doesn't get a, isn't thrown into the interim head coach role, he doesn't ultimately end up with the Blues in the position he is. His path to landing behind another NHL team's uh, bench is going to, to take longer than that. So that's another thing that greatly impacted the league was Laviolette getting fired three games into the season because then it gave Bruby a chance to, to coach a team and then it helped him get a job out with uh, with Vegas's AHL team and then or the Blues AHL team that shared rights with the Golden Knights, all, whatever. But the whole thing was uh, if he doesn't get fired, Bruby doesn't get a chance. And also that 2013-14 season, if they had, if they had given Laviolette time to turn it around, or if they had a different coach in there, that team could have been better than that team could have won a playoff series too. That team could have been good enough to maybe go a round or two in the postseason or three rounds. I mean, that season they again they took the Rangers to seven, and then the Rangers ended up going to the Stanley Cup final. So it wasn't like the the East was absolutely stacked that year. That could have very much been a season where things go right for the Flyers, they could have somehow snuck into the Eastern Conference Final. And Craig, you know, it was around for a coaching position before the 2013-14 season. Oh, God, who? Elaine Vigneault. Elaine Vigneault. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, the, I mean, you know, it was right there. They had a chance. Big and, Al. Uh, Big Al could have been here so much Big earlier. Big Al gonna, could have been here the whole time. He could have predated Hextall. That's how long ago it could have been. <laughs> And that would have been crazy. That would have been crazy. It's uh, it's very different if Vigneault comes in for that team as opposed to the team he is coaching now. And yeah. it's a different, very different world right there. And that Laviolette move, I mean, it's. Uh, for, I don't think there's any all, way he he makes it through the full season because people seem like he was already done before, uh, like during the lockout shortened season. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's fair. And I think it's just the fact of. It was three fucking games. Like, either commit to the decision after the lockout shortened season, and then you get a new coach in there to kind of implement, you three know, what he absurd. wants to do. It, it, was a, it was a circus. It was yeah. stupid. 
everybody was just like, I, I can't believe the Flyers are actually doing this. It yeah. it made it a spectacle where it didn't need to be one. It was, it was that uh, compounded with Snyder. That was the, we don't need a fresh perspective. That was the, that's when he dropped that when they were asking about, they brought in Peruby and he's another former flyer. And I believe that's when Sealski started doing his elite journalism Ugh. and started asking. Yeah. So that, that's when that, all that started. So uh, that could have started the, you know, the idea to bring in Hextall to kind of uh, stock and replenish the, the farm system too. So there, there was a lot of that lobby left firing. There's a lot that goes into that. And I do, I, I wonder how the, the next couple seasons could have panned out if he had actually been there. And also if there's an actual coach in there and like theoretically if we're running with an AV was hired before the 2013, 14 season, it's not, he's not going to get fired by the end of the following season. Like there's no guarantee he's out the door at the end of 2014, 15. He's still behind the bench. Hextall is not going to North Dakota to hire Dave Hextall. And we could have avoided all that, (laughs) which would have been ideal. So yeah. Uh, which actually, I mean, well, do we have any more from the? Uh, uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, we don't have any more from the Laviolette based things, do we? Well, I think you've got. Well, you've got here. What if Drew didn't have the shift? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I threw that out there. That was a because uh, the Flyers were up three nothing that series, lost games four and five, came back the the Philly for game six. That shift pretty much set the tone for that game, and then the Flyers went on to win five to one close out the series but if he doesn't go out there and do that and the penguins score early or the the penguins win that game then you're looking at the flyers possibly being on the wrong side of history and a couple years after we might be looking at another penguins cup yeah exactly yeah exactly another penguins cup combined with the demise of the flyers in the opening round series and then uh, also that was the first year drew as captain so god some people hate him now after he had the shift so imagine what this, like, what the fan base and what the team would look like if that was his first year and he had led a team that blew an 0-3 series lead. I think the town, would, I, the city would have been on fire by now, <laughs> one way or another. But uh, that is, yeah. So that was just that. That one's not a big one. I was just throwing it out there in case, you know, because they could have, they could have definitely collapsed and blown that series. I mean, the the Penguins, that game five was the the closest game of the series. I think the Penguins won three to two. So it looked like the, the series was starting to gain, starting to resemble hockey to a point. So it wasn't just these crazy, like, 8 to 10 games, you know, or, like, 6-4 games. It was low scoring and actual defense being played. So uh, there's no telling if the Penguins would have come back if the Flyers didn't come out and kind of smack them around to start that game six. So that that one's not a that one's not like a huge franchise altering what if I was just that was another what if I had thought of that may not it's probably not correct another top parallel five. universe Craig thought of yeah I'm just you know I'm here just you know it's 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 all an exercise you know just uh what is just spin hockey with my friend here so <laughs> you also uh, have from from the Laviolette era you have what if Asham and Pal or Pal scored late in game one of 2010 yeah that Boston. was. Yeah, that was another one too. Uh, I think for you know guys, people our age uh, that haven't seen the Cubs, the thing we hang our head on the most is that that comeback against the Bruins in 2010, overcome the 0-3 series deficit. I mean, even what was it two weeks ago or a couple weeks ago when uh, the quarantine started and everything, and they showed a replay of Game Seven on a Sunday night on CSN. Like you go on Twitter and everybody was tweeting about it, and everybody was getting back into it, and everybody was tweeting about how emotional it was and i f- i feel like if they don't have that comeback it's not 
it's something that maybe fans feel like they're not as invested in this team, or it's kind of another thing that make people not really give a shit about this team. You know, that there were a couple of lean years after that where they could have easily gotten away from the team, but the, the hypothetical I threw out there was late in game one when it was tied. And I, I couldn't go back and find the clip. I couldn't find the video anywhere, but I think with like 45 seconds left, Asham just sends a puck in from like the blue line, maybe with a neutral zone on Tuka Rask. Rask comes out, saves it, I think like two feet outside the crease and the puck is going towards the boards and Pow is there and he doesn't quite get a stick on it and he can't quite grab it. But if he does, he's looking at a wide open net to get the Flyers a lead with about 40 seconds left. So if that happens and the Flyers win game one, do we look at 2010 the same way? Does that lead into as much hype and expectation for 2010-11? Like, do the trades still go down after the Flyers lose in the second round in that year? I think it, I think it's more the emotional aspect of do we value 2010 as much if the Flyers didn't have that 03 comeback? And I if, think so. I, I want to say yes because I, the, there's still the a lot of other makes it more yeah. special. But it's still a cup run, and it's, still a cup run. it's yep. a cup run from an unexpected team. I think that it solidifies it as probably my favorite run by having it having that comeback in there. Uh, they were the ultimate Philadelphia. Like it is a hundred percent the the Rocky story here, where the yes. underdog rises up, uh, fights their way to the top, and still loses to the champ. It, it's it's a heartbreaker, but it's a fond memory at the same time. And if I think prior to that about my other fond Flyers memories, they involve losing to the Tampa Bay Lightning in seven games, uh, losing to the Detroit Red Wings in four games. Yeah. <laughs> it's more think... the beating the Rangers aspect, but, you know, none of the seasons have ended well. And <laughs> this is the one, the closest they've come in my lifetime. I think, so my, this is the only time I really argue for, Oh, the I guess whole... the closest in my lifetime is technically the Oilers, but the, the closest I can remember. Right. Yeah, right, right. Um, well, I think I think the the aspect of momentum plays a role, too, because if they're at one nothing, like during that Bruins series, I thought the Flyers were going to come back and do it after they had won game five. So if they win, like if they're looking at a 3-2 deficit and it's not the Bruins are on the verge of fucking it up altogether, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't win that series, and also they used they used the reverse sweep against the Bruins to kind of just start tan off on the Canadians too in the Eastern Conference Final. Like they beat the Bruins, and then two days later they smacked the Canadians around to beat them six nothing, and then three nothing in the first two games of that series. I don't know if they come out and play with as much confidence or are on fire as much going into that series if they don't have to come back, you know, complete the entire comeback against the Bruins. This is all like very. We're talking about like minor rifts. This isn't like a huge franchise altering thing. I mean, Craig's got a, a board up with a bunch of thumbtacks and orange string. <laughs> yeah, this is Charlie in the mailroom. That's what's going on right here. <laughs> all these people work there and they're all looking for their mail. Just uh, stay tuned for Craig's 18 part series, The Alternate History of the Flyers from the Past Decade. What if the team kept the Glam Metropolitan? What if they did that? And just what, what if they kept the Aussie Van in it? What would that, what would the team look like now? What if they, they kept drafted PK Subban? Oh man, could you imagine? Oh yeah, that, oh, yeah, that was another one. That's another one that ran out of the. Uh, what if they drafted PK Subban instead of fucking Kevin Marshall? <laughs> We'd have one less memorable clip from twenty four seven, and uh, maybe some other memorable playoff highlights. But I digress.
Kevin Marshall, if you're listening out there. Kevin Marshall, if you want to come on the show, please, please do. <laughs> if you want to come dance on the show, please do. <laughs> we won't let anybody know it's good. If you want to dance on this, uh, yeah, on this audio medium, please come on, come on in. <laughs> uh, which one? Uh, which one do you want to look at next year? Do you want to talk about our last Laviolette run one, or do you want to save that? I mean, we could do that now. Let's uh, do we it. let's do it. Yeah, let's, I mean, let's just close out the Laviolette era, and then we can talk firmly about the the Baruby and Hextall eras. Yeah. Uh, so the so. last one we want to talk about from the the Laviolette era is the the big one. What if Layton yep. makes that shitty, stupid save that he should have made? Yep. I, and I think this when it's all said and done, this might be the biggest what if. But yeah, I I mean, if he makes that save. Flyers are still alive in Game Six uh, again. I think the emphasis here is that it's it's Game Six. And game Six. The Flyers said the Flyers were given it their all in that game, and I think the the other what if from this game is what if Jeff Carter doesn't go high and wide? Oh my God, yeah. What if Jeff Carter's fucking plants went over Niemi with about a minute and a half left? Yeah, that would have. Or that not high and wide. That was the uh, he didn't shoot high enough. Yeah, that was the one time we needed him to shoot high, and uh, I think I think Brian Campbell got a stick on it too. That's something, but, but yeah, still, and I never need to lift the mad. puck. I mean, it's I never got mad at him about that one. If I'm being totally honest, I I never got mad at him because I know how difficult it is to, in the heat of the moment, to just get that. You're just trying to jam it home, and I, I get it. Like it's yeah, I. I don't know. I don't, I don't get mad about that one. It's also, again, it, it was huge. It was huge. If he does get that puck higher, if he scores that goal, that's, that's it. They, they probably win that game right there. Uh, yeah. Instead, they, they barely force overtime. They get there and Leighton lets up one of the worst goals I've ever seen. And the, the Blackhawks win the cup, but it's, do the Flyers even win that game is the big question. Yeah, that's the whole thing. We're just opening up the door of possibility here. There's nothing. And then they have to win game seven on top of that. I mean. Where they got crushed in Chicago all series long. Right. Like the, I mean, the first game was close, but that was a, that was a circus game. It was six to five with goalie changes. And um, I I think at the end of the first period, it was a three to two game. So like that game just wasn't going to happen again. Game two, the Blackhawks systematically just didn't give them anything offensively. And then game five, they got crushed. So, you know, saying late makes that save and then saying the Flyers win the cup, there's a lot of leaps to conclusions there. And I don't, yeah, there's no guarantee they even win game six. It's just, you know, it would have been nice to see what would have happened if he, but, you know, if they make, he makes that save, they win that cup. Richards and Carter aren't getting traded a year later. Um, Holmgren's not getting fired anytime soon. They're not going out and trading for a goalie anytime soon. It resets everything. Because when you win a cup, you give or any team wins a championship, those teams always get a little bit of time to breathe to see if they can do it again. Like we're kind of seeing with the, the Eagles here for a bit. But I, I mean, he makes that save. It really does open up with the possibility of like what, what could have been this Flyers decade in hockey. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so that so that's that one. I mean, there's really not too much to break down there either. It's just. But uh, it, it is the biggest what if. It's the the. It one is definitely it. the biggest one. Yeah. Because I I think, honestly, so here's my question: Would you feel better about it if it was a better goal? I I feel like I might because it's. I think I may too. I, I mean, almost I... broke my friend's chair, which is the only time <laughs> I've I've really lashed out 
in like physical anger over sports. Like I like slammed my buddy's chair a couple times because I was so mad that it specifically ended like that, like that it yeah. ended with such a whimper. Yeah, I think that's my thing too. Is it's the I didn't none of us saw when it went originally, and then seeing it on the replay just made it that much worse. Like it was like mu- a much more like celebrate. You're like, what's this asshole celebrating about? Nothing yeah. happened. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think if it was a better goal, I think it would have, it would have, it would have numbed it a little bit. Because yeah, again, that felt like a team, that felt like a team of destiny. That was a team that just overcame so much dumbass shit. Like they were 29th in the league halfway through the season. The push towards the end of the season, the shootout at the end of the season, the beating the two seed and the Devils, overcoming the 03 series deficit. Uh, knocking out the other Cinderella team. And then the the Blackhawks were a clearly more loaded team than them in that series. And to know that, you know, the destiny-filled run for your favorite sports team got knocked out because of one of the worst angled shots in the history of the game is pretty... Yeah, it's a little deflating. It really, it would have been nice if it was like a beautiful tic-tac-toe play where there was no stopping it. And there was nothing the team could have done about it. But, Yeah. I mean, either way, it would have sucked. Either, you know, that could have been something where if, if it was a different timeline, we would have been saying, yeah, we wish it was kind of a dumber goal where maybe we could have made an argument the Flyers deserved to win more. But I think there's better Mason or better Michael Layton memories than also as a result of that. People remember him more as this like underdog hero rather than right, right, right. being the shitty goalie who just ended up in the biggest stage in hockey. Yeah, because that's yeah, that's the unfortunate thing is he's always going to be like when you say Michael Layton, there's only one thing everybody thinks of now, especially if you're a Flyers fan. Like you think of that play, and again, this was a dude they picked him up in the on waivers that year. They picked him up on waivers in December, and like he he, I I think if he was running the team, his choice would be yeah, I'm going to be in net as like the third or fourth goaltending option coming into the year. Like he he just shouldn't have been there. But yet he had been – he had three shutouts against the Canadians. Like, he was doing his part up until that moment. So, I don't know. Yeah. it would If he had made that save, yeah, his, his, uh, his memory would have been remembered better by Slyers fans. Because now, yeah, his, his name is kind of like a – it's kind of like a curse word <laughs> when you Basically, bring it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're late so. and you're like, oh, late. And you're like, oh, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um okay so you want to move on to uh well let's see the brew beer would be um well i have what if mason was healthy for the first few games of the 2014 postseason i think we kind of touched on that but that was steve mason was uh he ended up i thought he played pretty damn well in that that 2014 postseason series and he missed the first three games and gave the flyers a chance to win against a rangers team that Obviously, it was good enough to possibly go all the way because they ended up coming out of the East. But uh, I felt like, and I felt like in the first couple of games of that series, the Rangers were just getting goals because it was noted that Ray Emery's hips were non-existent. Like, he just didn't have fucking hips. So you pass, you make a move side to side, and you're going to get some good chances. And I think two or three of the Rangers' goals in those first two games were just making him move side to side and casually dunking in the net. So if Mason's in net, they won game two on the road. Maybe they win game. They take the first two games on the road, or they take game three too, and that's a different series. And then if they win that series, you know, is Hongren going to come back in 2014-15? Um, 
does that give Ruby's shelf life as a head coach a little bit longer? Is he here? Is he here? Is he here past 2014-15 as well? I think that adds a lot of questions into what does the front office, what does a lot of the off-ice personnel look like if Mason is able to help push that team past the Rangers in the first round and maybe more. Yeah, and I think this is a good jumping point to to Holmgren overall and him staying with the team because. Yeah. That really was almost the move that turned the ship around for Holmgren because Holmgren at first, you know, he made some great, very shrewd moves in early years. And then when it came down to those Richards and Carter trades and the Brizgalov move, that's where everything kind of starts to turn for him. He makes the desperation Shea Weber move. And then it comes down to stuff where he starts. So to, to make up for, Brizgalov, he he goes and he makes this Steve Mason move, which everybody's like, Steve Mason, that guy's <laughs> damaged goods. He's just he hasn't been good since his rookie year. This is insane. And Steve Mason would go on to be one of the most polarizing flyers of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, he really was. Yeah, essentially, if Steve Mason works out a little better, if Steve Mason uh, is more consistent, stays healthier, and he, specifically for that series, if they can beat the Rangers and. Steve Mason's a pivotal part of that, then maybe I, I would actually have to think that Paul Holmgren's staying around a little bit longer because yeah. that ends up being a shrewd move at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a big aspect of the Mason one, uh, or if, you know, Mason stays healthy for those. And that comes down to, uh, that was fucking Jason Magna that ran into Mason towards the end of the 2014, 2013, 14 regular season. So, uh, if, you know, if he doesn't run into Steve Mason, he's probably healthy for the start of that series. And uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows how that could have panned out for everybody involved. Um, let's see what, what's the other ones here. Yeah, what if they kept Ruby? Was another one from that era. Um, but I think the thing with Ruby is, I think if they kept Ruby, they wouldn't have gotten to the point they did that the Blues got last year. I think Ruby had. I think he changed his approach to coaching the game from when he was here in Philly to. Uh, what he's done behind the Blues bench. I know he emphasized defense when he was here, but there's a lot of other aspects of his system that I don't think really would have worked that well. And also, I think he just uh, he just didn't like... He made like snarky comments about Couturier and Mason when he was here, and I don't think he was doing that. He hasn't. He's not doing that shit when he's in St. Louis. So Yeah, I think it was uh, a learning experience for him. It was a learning time. experience, yeah. It, it just never seemed like he was a long-term solution here, so yeah. I, I think it is a what-if, especially in light of the fact that he won a cup with St. Louis, but yeah. I don't think it's one that at least the smart Flyers fans, it's on the forefront no. of their mind. Yeah, I will say for him, though, those, the, like that 2014-15 team, where he got most of like that he is mainly judged off of that. That was a horseshit team. Like that's one of those things where Dave Haxall is a fucking horrible coach. But the one thing I'll always say about him was, you know, the saying is you sh- show me good coach. I'll show you a good goalie or show me a good goalie. I'll show you a good coach. And he, I think during the time he was here, the flyers ranked 27th in goaltending. So it's kind of hard to game plan, but still, you knew like Haxall was making decisions night in and night out where you're like, what the fuck is that? And Bruby didn't have, I don't think Bruby had as many of those big, what are you doing type moments, but it was the stuff where like he sets on about, like he said, he needed to see more at a Couturier and that Bergeron was producing with the same number of like defensive zone starts. And I was like, yeah, Bergeron's been in the league for a little bit longer. And then, you know, eventually Bruby was right. 
Yes, yeah, so to see more out of him, and now he's showing more. <laughs> so you know what? Craig Bruby was right. Yeah, Craig Bruby was right. Well, he's a Craig, so you know we're on top of this stuff. We know a lot of stuff that uh, people don't see until later on. So you, you guys will say you understand. <laughs> no, okay. Uh, what's the? <laughs> Uh, the fly, I mean, the other one would be what if the Flyers didn't trade for McDonald? I think that is a big. I mean, if they so don't have cat space, a lot of the McDonald's. That's the final n- nail in Paul Holmgren's coffin right there. I believe it is. Yeah, if he doesn't make that trade for McDonald and then also give him the deal, uh, I don't think he. I think his shelf life. I think he's here longer than the summer of 2014 as well. Uh, and I, I think the thing with McDonald is just the fact of um, think of all the, the ice time it took away from younger players and the opportunities that Hagstall company decided to put him in uh, over like Sandheim um, and a couple of the other younger guys that we could have seen. Or even guys like uh, Medvedev or Gustafson could have seen more ice time if McDonald wasn't here or got less ice time. Or just what you know wasn't part of the organization, so yeah. that was an easy what if. But I think uh, I mean I would say that it would just kind of extend Holmgren's time here, possibly. And, possibly, uh, I think Holmgren's time that that certainly didn't help it, but I think it depended on you know a the Mason factor, b this team making a run, and I I don't know, just like a lot of factors. Honestly, for. The McDonald one, I think, is more. I think that's more of an impact on Hextall. Right. Hextall, the McDonald's contract outlived Hextall's time with the Flyers. The McDonald got traded to the Flyers in March of 2014. Hextall got hired in May of 2014. Hextall got fired in November of 29 or 2018, and then McDonald got let go of in June 2019. So, like, if he, the whole entire time he was here, he had to figure out a way to get rid of that contract. I never did. And also I think the fact that he was here and they were trying to, they actually thought he was good or they were trying to showcase him to move the contract. I think they actually thought he was good based on evidence. I don't know, but uh, that, you know, if he's not here that entire time, I do wonder how Hextall uses that spot on the blue line and the extra money. Cause again, he was a guy that focused on, you know, cap management. And also we, I mean, there's also, the idea that Hextall was in the room for the signing of the, the signing and the trade of McDonald to like what, you know, maybe. I believe he even is said to have drawn up the contract. Now, whether he drew up the contract based on Paul Holmgren or, you know, whoever's instruction is a whole other matter saying we want to give him X amount, figure it, figure it out. But it's, it's an insane contract and you should feel ashamed for having any part of it. <laughs> Feel yeah, he bad. should feel great. Too. Yeah, he should definitely feel bad. He, he should feel absolutely bad about that. Yeah. So, uh, I guess if we're you know talking about this era right here, uh, I think we need to move to the the most painful question on the list, which is what if Mark Streit's dick does not break? What if that thing stays on there? What, what if, if that, that thing, thing is going to rip right off his body? What if it bends body? but doesn't break? Well, they ain't got a dog-like situation going on. But for Mark Streit, I think what, uh, like, I think if he doesn't get hurt, I think the career trajectory of Shane Gossesphere is a pretty big question mark right now. Because uh, he, I mean, obviously 2015-16 was his huge, was his huge uh, rookie campaign run. 
Uh, and then 2016-17, he played fine, but he was he just had rough luck in terms of uh, the goalies letting and everything when he was on the ice. Uh, he was doing pretty fine and suppressing attempts against and chances against and everything, but he just couldn't get a save when he was on the ice, so his numbers looked a little worse than he actually played. And in 2017-18, he actually played pretty well uh, and was deserving of being like a top-pairing defenseman. I don't know if they give him that much of a leash to work with in 2017-18 if he doesn't go off in 2015-16. Or they assume that he would be a top-pairing guy after his 2016-17 season if he didn't go off in 2015-16. So I think uh, straight, yeah, straight injuring, getting injured, set up Ghost's uh, arrival on, into, the, into the league and what we kind of expect him how we expect him to play over the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, now it's kind of, it's a little bit easier to envision this team without ghost, but if he was never, I mean, I mean, if ghost was never good enough, like 2015, 16 would be a lot different if straight was healthy and we had to watch that team for the rest of the season. I don't think they would have had that run to the postseason. That ghost was such a huge part of, yeah, the ghost, and he had, I mean, that was, and that ghost run during 2015-16, you know, dating back to the Cup, or the 2012 series against the Penguins, that was one of the more exciting times to watch the Flyers, was that playoff push. That, yeah. that. G- Gostas Bear was, he was just so energizing to that team. He had 17 goals, 29 points, 46, or I'm sorry, 29 assists, 46 points that year, which... I mean, in this era of Flyers defense was unheard of. And he was doing, I mean, he was just doing insane thing. Obviously we got introduced to the, uh, the ghost shimmy at the blue line, but I remember he had a keep against the blue jackets for somebody slapped the puck around like, I don't know, like chess level. And he got his stick on it and was able to keep it in the zone at the blue line. He had that crazy uh, play where he had the offensive zone takeaway to set up Giroux for the game winner against the, the jets in overtime. Like, he was just doing absolutely banana shit all year that year. That He's done a little bit, he did a little bit in the following seasons. We didn't see it this year, and we didn't really see it much last year. But we would see flashes of it. But in 2015-16, it was every game he was doing something that we just did. Every single time we got the puck, it was exciting. Uh, and I, I think that is, like like I said, 2015-16 was one of the last, before this season was one of the last times people actually got really excited about this team. I think, in my opinion, I am most humble, humble opinion. I, I am HHO. Yeah. Most humble, humble opinion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's that one. Uh, and I also threw out what if Katori didn't get hurt in game one of the 2016 series against the, the caps got injured on a check from Ovechkin into the boards. And I think that I, th- I wouldn't put any other injury on this list, but uh, you're talking about Torrey in a playoff series. I think that's a pretty that's a pretty significant loss. And unfortunately for the Flyers, they've had to deal with that twice out of their last uh, two postseason runs. But I, I think one of those times he scored a hat trick with a torn ACL, and this team still uh, fucked yep. it up for him. Was it torn ACL and MCL? I think it was a torn MCL, and he had a hat trick and two assists. He had five points on a banged up knee. And the team was like, "Nah, we're gonna we're gonna fuck this one up." We're anyway. just gonna we're gonna shit the bed all over the place. That was we get the chance. <laughs> that was a 
Man, that whole game six was probably the low point of Radko Goose's career. Not even with the Flyers, just his career. Because, well, Katoria went off, and also he was the one that injured Katoria earlier in the series. And then he had two of the, I think he had two. I know he had one absolutely abysmal turnover to set up a goal, and then had another terrible defensive play to set up another Penguins goal in the third period. So he just, that was just not Radko Goose's time to, uh, to be a member of the Flyers. But yeah, that, I mean, that did happen. Uh, and, but I think if Katori is healthy in 2016, I mean, they got, the Cavs crushed them in uh, game one. They lost a close one. Game two, I think they outplayed the Cavs and got unlucky. unlucky. That was also Steve Mason uh, letting in a, a goal from center ice. Uh, and then game three was uh, the, ri- the wristband game. But if the Flyers had won one of those games, which I think if Katori is healthy, they may their luck may have changed in game one or game two. Uh, they might come out and, and win that series. I mean, again, if they win that series, they get a meeting with the Penguins the next round. The Penguins were a fucking boss all that postseason. So that may have not been as much fun. But, you know, we're talking about a team that has won a playoff series since 2012. I think if Victoria is healthy, they have a shot at winning that playoff series. I would say so. So that's a, yeah. So that's that one. Uh, we, according to my eyes, we only have three left, right? Four left. I believe so. Cause we we kind of talked about if... Holmgren had stayed, but maybe, I don't know. A few more words on that might be good. Uh, just to say, like, what what if the Flyers had stuck with Paul Holmgren a little longer? Like, I don't think he had much more leeway, even regardless of the McDonald move. Like, I think he might have had one more year if he had any more time, just because the team really just had floundered and the cap situation had gotten continuously worse and worse and worse. I mean... Yeah, some of those moves he was making at the end there were rough. Yeah, I think, and if he stays longer, that opens up the. I mean, because Hexel is already in the building when he made the McDonald move. That pretty much, it feels like the McDonald move was the one that was like, all right, well, this is this is enough of that. But yeah, Hexel's... and the and the continued just uh, terribleness of uh, Vincent Latalia. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that is true. That's that's you know that's not a huge what if, but that's definitely one of the big contributing factors to to Holmgren. Kind of that's a yeah, that's a what if for Holmgren's tenure as a Flyers GM. Like I mean, what you if could do an entire guy. list of what ifs for just Paul Holmgren. Because oh my God, Jesus! The, yeah, is, that... the man knew how to make a splash, right? Like he knew how to make a splash, but at the oh, same time, all kinds of splashes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. It, the writing was kind of on the wall at that point. And the other thing was that the Flyers were afraid of losing Hextall because Hextall was at that point pretty much the hottest GM commodity there was because he was known as the guy who found all the young talent on the Kings. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, as, and people, I guess Hextall's uh, reputation kind of grew once uh, the Kings started falling apart, which is Lombardi and kind of saw that, uh, Hextall was pushing a lot of buttons there, but again, if I think it still would have been Hextall after Holmgren, or there would have been a decent chance because he was the guy waiting in the wings. I think it becomes the question is then would he still have been able to get Hextall? Because Hextall wouldn't have been going anywhere. Well, I don't think Hextall even happens if if oh, Holmgren yeah. sticks around. Well, oh well, yeah, 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 yeah. If Holmgren sticks around, I'm talking about. Well, I guess if, if Holmgren sticks around for another year. It really depends on what happens in that year. Um, it depends. Like, if it's just one year of Holmgren. Well, the, the other thing is, do does Hextall then take a job somewhere else? And that seems likely yeah. if he didn't get the job then. 
Yeah. Um, that's why I don't, I don't even think you ever hear the name Dave Hextall for the Philadelphia Flyers. He ends up wherever Hextall goes eventually because Holmgren, if he had gotten tired of Baruby, I think he would have gone with a bigger name, whoever, you know, like, let's say, I, I don't know if Ken Hitchcock was available, but you know, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. seem out of the realm of possibility that he would have brought Ken Hitchcock back or a more established name at that point. Now, I guess my question for you, Ben, because I know how I feel about it and I don't know if it's going to be popular or not, but would you rather it stayed the way it did and the Flyers had to go through Hextall and Hextall to get to what feels like a rather promising point right now? Or would you have rather they had just avoided Hextall, Hextall and Hextall together and just rode out with Holmgren and kind of didn't have to go through the building and replenishing the the um, the prospect pipeline kind wow. of fate of the team? I think you know my opinion on this matter. Yeah, I think I mean, they definitely needed to go through that rebuild and restock and everything. I, I just, Holmgren had absolutely destroyed the prospect pool, destroyed the draft pool. Like, it just, it was bad. It was really yeah. bad. And they needed to go in and replenish all of that. So it's, I mean, it was a lot like when, when Holmgren came in after Clark, even. Yeah. Had yeah. to replenish all that, and he started out very, you know, pretty he, good in that, that area. Pretty good moves, yeah. yeah. And then eventually, real bad. <laughs> but yeah. uh, and, and this is kind of the cycle of GMs, right? Where they they start off, they they lay the base down, build everything up, and then they can start to make the bigger moves. It's just Hextall never clicked into that higher gear where he started to make the moves to make them good today. It was like, well, here's my forty six year plan to make the Flyers great. <laughs> Yeah, what? yeah, he he was he went too much of the other way where he literally, I mean, there were obvious glares in net and on the PK, and they were both he had cap space, and those are really not things that are going to break the bank to kind of replace or kind of help, and he just didn't. He was just like, ah, yeah, we're going to ride it out, and I think he was too cautious. Man, can the in that team aspect. win? Can the team win now? Just wait, <laughs> but when will it happen? Soon. Yeah, two to three years, and then two to three years later, eventually. Two to three years, yeah. <laughs> so, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that, uh, yeah, Holmgren exited when he did, and uh, not because if he had stayed a little bit later, I think the Flyers would still be a little further away than. I, they're getting closer to where they need to be now, and I think next season will be a good year for the Flyers. But I don't. I think if Holmgren stays another year or two, I think, yeah, you're like you said, the possibility of Hextall leaving which then opens up the possibility of they don't have, you know, they don't have all these young, they don't have Proveroff, they don't have Konechny, they don't have Lindblom, they don't have Sandheim, they don't have Myers, they don't have Hart, they don't have all these young guys that, you know, people, you know, the name Hextel makes some people roll their eyes and all this shit, but uh, all these young cats are here because somebody else said they didn't want to sign big contracts and wanted to hoard draft picks for years. So this is, I think they need to do all this to get to the point they were at, so... Yeah, I, I think so too. And but on that note, there were a couple particularly unpopular Hextall moves. Yeah. I think the the first one happened right, or maybe the most famous one happened right out of the gate when he traded yep. Scott Hartnell for R.J. Umberger. Yeah, yeah, which uh, didn't uh, didn't uh, didn't make a ton of sense. Not, not the no. I, I, Hextall was trying so hard to get money off of the books and make these clever moves where it'd be like short-term, long-term gain, you know, short-term pain, long-term yeah. pain kind of thing. And, you know, Hartnell did look like he was going down and I think he'd only play a couple more years, but frankly, the, 
the production they got out of R.J. Umberger versus even a one-legged Scott Hartnell would <laughs> not <laughs> yeah. have yeah. been comparable. Because Umberger was just horrible. And I wonder if maybe Hextall didn't know just how little he had left in the tank or or what? I or if he overestimated how little Hartnell had left. Because Hartnell would still go on to have like a decent couple years. Um, yeah. Oh, no. But, yeah, I definitely did. Yeah, Umberger was abysmal. Umberger was bad. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, I think that the one big advantage to this trade in terms of like help, like cap relief, was Umberger had a year or two less on his contract. But like the because their cap their cap hits were around the same, and obviously Hartnell was way better than Umberger at that time. So it came down to Hextall figured the team wasn't going to be right there for a couple seasons, so maybe speed up how long that contract is on your books and then you can get a little bit of cap space to free it up so you can sign some of your draft picks or sign another bit. But I, I anyway, you want to look at it. It was not a great move. Um, and it wasn't whatever he had in mind didn't pay off as well as I, I think he intended. So I think that one, that one, I mean, that one's uh how well do you think those teams would do with Hartnell on that top line? I think that's what that comes down to. Do you think the 2014-15 or the 2015-16 teams go any further? Because, I mean, if Arnold's on the top line that 2015-16 season, uh, you know, maybe that team also puts something together in the first round and maybe gets out of the first round in that season. Right, and I think that's your your biggest divergence right here, your biggest what-if point is... Yeah. So 14-15, Scott Hartnell went on to play... Uh, 77 games for the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, 28 goals, 32 assists, good for 60 points. 60 points, yeah. Yeah, and that's good. That's pretty good. The Flyers could have used that. I mean, Hartnell would go on to score 28, 23, 13, 13. So not not too much from him in his last couple years, 16, 17, and 17, 18. But that was significant production in 14, 15 that that Flyers team could have used. And uh, yeah. It definitely would have uh, contributed a lot more than R.J. Umberger. And if you talk for a moment, I'm going to look up R.J. Umberger's numbers, which yeah, can't well, be good. Yeah, no, I think my – so my thing, though, with the 2014-15, it would have helped the production. That team wasn't going anywhere, though. Like, that, it's a thing where he would have helped that team look better. That team's still not winning the cup at the end of the day. That team's still not making the fucking playoffs. Right, right. 15, 15. Like, that's – I think 15-16 to me is the reason why I'm throwing it out there because that team – was good enough. Like they, they put together a nice run at the end of the season and then took but, the cap six games. But I mean, it does make a difference. It does make a difference at the end of the day though. Right. Like 14, 15 RJ Umberger had nine goals. Yeah. Okay. But so, I mean, I, I mean, maybe that team's a lot better. I don't know, but where I, here's the problem. E- either way, 14, 15 or 15, 16, neither of those teams win in a cup Hartnell or no. Yeah. I think that's fair. I don't think I don't think they're getting because again, like, like I just said with the uh, the 2016 team, the thing was to me, we we can talk about possibilities beating the Caps, but that Penguins team was unlucky and it didn't fucking matter. They were just plowing through everybody. Like they had five on five, they couldn't be stopped. They had the HPK line going. Crosby was on fire. Solvent system, like they bought in the Solvent system, and they were just barreling towards a cup. So in 2016, I think we can talk about getting past the Caps, but no matter what, they're playing the Penguins in the second round. So it's right. a thing where I think, you know, if they kept Hartnell 
2014-15 would have obviously been better. 2015-16, I think they can give the Caps a run for the money. And even then, we're talking about a series where, you know, the Flyers down 3-2 to two and one of their two wins was the game they got out shot 44-11. So, like, that team, it was not even guaranteed they get past the Caps then, but I think they have a better shot with Hart on the team. Uh, and then I think no matter what, they're just going to get smacked around by the Penguins. 2016-17, I mean... That's a team I'll listen to about. Uh, that was a team that had a 10-game winning streak and looked like they are about to make the postseason and then kind of fell apart from about January on. So, uh, you know, that's another one. Maybe the maybe Hartnell helps them get to the postseason then. But I don't think – I don't know. Like, I, I think Hartnell on those teams makes them a little bit better, but I don't think it's really – I don't think it's a difference. No, a huge difference there. maker at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. Uh, and then the other – the other Hextel one that is contested that you put on here, yeah, is uh, what if they kept Shen? So instead of trading Braden Shen at the twenty-seven draft, twenty seventeen draft for um, at the twenty-seven draft at the twenty seventeen draft for uh, what ended up being Morgan Frost and uh, Joel Farabee. they also got Yuri the Terror in the deal, but that's you know that's not really important. Although I guess at the time it was important because he got mentioned a lot and he was very bad, absolutely terrible, but. Uh, to me, this entire trade was about uh, potential, future potential. And when you can trade a guy like Brand Shen, who, he's good. Uh, and he should have been playing center in Philadelphia. And he's fine at 5-5 five and five in St. Louis. So him not being the pivot in Philadelphia, I guess that explains a lot why he wasn't as effective here. But at the time when he was here, the 2016-17 season was a year that was pretty disappointing. And the Flyers are talking about possibly moving a piece of their core to kind of get things rolling in the right direction. And when you're looking at the core back then, at the end of 2016-17, you're talking about Drew, Voracek, Simmons, um, Shen, and then, like, pro Ralph on defense. So, like, out of those five guys, if you need the trade one to kind of, you know, make everybody in the room wake up and you know, start getting it together, I think Shen was the obvious guy there. Because if he's not – he wasn't doing much at 5-5. Five five. He wasn't a locker room leader. He wasn't, wasn't a locker room leader. A and physical his presence. He wasn't uh, yeah. necessarily a goal scorer. I mean, I'm My... looking at Shen's numbers right now. His his highest point total for a single season in Philadelphia was 59 points in 80 games, where he scored 26 goals and 33 assists. Um and, his, and my big thing, oh, I was just going to say, my big thing with him was it, it was about power play presence. And when you look at those power play units from back then, and the thing that I've been screaming about for a couple of years now, I think a lot of players can thrive sitting in the slot waiting for Drew to feather them passes to tee off on. And that was, when you look at those the power play units from those seasons, the Flyers weren't great at 5-5, five five, but they had top-end power play units. But that was Drew working from his usual spot, Voracek on the other wall. Uh, goes coming in as a rookie in the league, not having an answer to that question. Like, you know, his question of playing abilities. And then Simmons in front, who was probably the best net front presence in the league on the power play, him or Pavelski. And then Shen. So, like, if his biggest attributes are on the power play, and he is maybe the fifth most important power play asset on the top unit, then I feel like he's an expendable guy. If you're going to get two first-round picks for him, fucking trade him. Like, and I, I don't know... I guess the what if would be if they had kept on how well would they have played in the 2017-18 postseason, right? And I don't know. To me, I don't know if he would have made that much. I mean, he would have been. He could have because he would have been playing second line center instead of Filpula. 
for a couple of those games there. Um, so that could have been a big factor. But outside of that, I don't know how much this team, how different this team looks with Brian Shen on it over the last couple of seasons than they did. Compared right. to knowing, I mean, to me Whereas too. Whereas in St. Louis, St. Louis, he, he makes a difference because they, they needed that top six depth a little more and they needed a little center help. And they also brought in O'Reilly, who was yeah he you know, a, a pivotal part of that cup run for them. Yeah, and like Shen, I, again, last year, Shen, he was a fine complimentary player, but he wasn't like a guy that really pushed the boat for them. I don't know, like he had... He's not the he, dude. He, he's not the dude. He's a nice complimentary player, but he is not, he's not the key piece there. Yeah, I think that, yeah. So, and to me, it's just always going to be the, the two first-round picks. Like, I... Faraby and Frost already. Faraby already looks like an everyday NHLer, and he, it was obvious there are things he can improve in his game. So once those get going, I think he's going to be a bona fide top six forward. And I think Frost is, I mean, Frost showed flashes of brilliance this year, and whenever he gets more playing time in the NHL, I think both those guys could be potentially top six guys for you. So, you know, I, I think that I think I'm fine with that. I think I'm at peace with the Shen trade. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I think we've both been at is peace a good, with it since it was made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this podcast, especially, yeah. But it is a it is a pretty big what if. That's probably been it's one of the bigger bigger Flyers trades in recent history, right? That yeah, I'd say so. Little, yeah, yeah. That's one of the bigger ones. And uh, on that note, like, yeah. is it even like fair to say a what if is like what if the Flyers had traded for Ryan O'Reilly? I mean, I'm not even sure that's like a possibility. I, like people that's say that a, because of the price the Blues got for him, and that that happens with a lot of trades. Where it's like, well, why couldn't we have done that? But yeah, and, and it's the thing too. Where I think we're only asking that now because the Blues didn't give up shit to get them, and then they also ended up winning it all. Like I don't think we're talking about this if they. I think it's fair to ask though, because fuck, I mean, that was yeah, that was the same summer we kept saying that. uh you know, Hexel was going to bring Tavares home and he's going to sign in Philly because they needed a, if they had gotten another center and you have Couture and Tavares or Couture and O'Reilly in the top six, like, yeah. And the, the Tavares move would have been, the, team, yeah. the Tavares move would have been great. But the thing is, I don't, again, like from all reports, guy, he was never even on the list. Right. That guy was just like, going to Toronto. I think the, the flyers were never on the list. And that is from multiple reporters. That is, it was down to like just a handful of teams. And he, and it seemed like he always wanted to go to Toronto at the end of the day. Yeah. I think he ultimately was going to end up being a Maple Leaf. So those pajamas, man, those, those pajamas, uh, I think. Okay. So I think the biggest Hextall one or the biggest one from the Hextall era that defined his entire era here. What if he doesn't hire Hextall slash actually just fires Hextall? Right. I, right. I mean, his inability, his obsession with Hackstall, like his unwillingness to just—I would say stubbornness it. rather than. Obsession. I think stubbornness. Yeah, I think he. I think that was a big part of Hackstall's issue was he was a guy that was very confident and stubborn in what he believed in, and he yeah. just wouldn't listen to anybody. So when it was clear that Hackstall was worthless, he just kept going with him. This is the system. This is the plan. Let's stick to the plan. And yeah the plan wasn't necessarily working and you know, Hackstall, I was, again, I will forever say, I will admit I was optimistic. I liked the Hackstall move because it was something different. It was not a retread because the flyers always get 
made fun of around the league for hiring ex flyers to do right. all of their positions, which actually isn't even that true with the coaching staff. It's uh, it might be the the case with the front office, but uh, the coaching staff, it's not really historically the case. The flyers uh, usually go with established NHL retreads and yeah. at least since I would say the, the nineties, you know, like Terry Murray, was not a re- retread at that time, but you know, you, you look at a lot of the other guys who came after Terry Murray. They were guys who had been around quite a bit, yeah. and yeah, yeah. they've taken chances a couple times with guys down in the system. Uh, you look at Bill Barber. You look at um, John Stevens, uh, old sheet cake. <laughs> old sheet cake, yeah. And th- they have taken some chances there, but they had never really tried a college guy. So it was. I was glad they tried it, yeah. but they needed to bail on it sooner. And the fact that they didn't and, and people were people hated Hackstall for a while. And you can't always just go with the popular opinion on these moves, but it yeah. got to the point of absurdity where I, people could not believe this guy still had his job. And th- there was good reason. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, though. I, I really the idea of going outside the box and going with a collegiate coach that may have a fresh perspective on the game. I was fine with that, but they did the cut bait. Um a lot earlier on. Uh, and, and I think if Hextall makes a move before the previous season, I, I think Hextall gets the full year. Oh yeah. No, if he, if he had cut his, t- yeah, if he had let go of Hextall and brought in whoever would have been available that summer, um, I think it would have gone a lot better for him. I mean, if, even if they had somehow tried to get trots, I mean, I mean, they should have, there's no reason. Yeah. They, if you go, with... not go after him and, that's a very different team if Barry Trotz is here. That's a very different team. Uh, and that's uh, I think that that's another thing, though, too. If Trotz is if Trotz is brought in, AV isn't brought in, and the whole – and they don't – Hexall isn't let go either. And a lot of what made this team really good this year was they took care of the puck a little bit more, and they were better on the defensive side. And I don't know if Niskan and Hayes and Braun are brought in if Trout is brought in and Hextall has a little bit longer here or is given a full year. So that's one of those things. That was the last, what if I have is what if they didn't hire Fletcher? So right now I think things look pretty good. Yeah. I didn't like that Fletcher hiring. I, I didn't, didn't like, like the hiring, but no, I didn't like any of them. right now, both of them are looking fantastic and the, the Fletcher hiring, you know, I am certainly willing to eat a little shit on that right now. And I look, admit that you know so far so good with chuck fletcher i think he to this point he seems like the best guy they could have brought in to transition from the hextall era to maybe find that happy medium between a guy who's a little bit more of an established nhl guy but also can value the the prospects because he has not gone i think that was our big fear is that he would just tear down everything hextall built up prospect wise and we'd just be back where we started. And yeah. thus far, he has not done that. He's, in fact, it, with the exception of Shane Gostaspare, I'd say most of the the young talent, uh, and, you know, unfortunately, just due to circumstances, Nolan Patrick, most of the young talent has really uh, thrived with the current coaching staff and yeah. uh, the atmosphere they've built. Honestly, and honestly, I don't even know if I'd put, I want to put Ghost in a category of a player that maybe this coaching staff hasn't gotten to. Because, again, he started out looking great last season with Gordon and company behind the bench as well. So I think the coaching staff has, yeah, effectively gotten their message through to 
through everybody. But I, I mean, yeah, that was I was right there with you. I just I didn't think Fletcher was his work in Minnesota scared me. And I know it's kind of hard to look back at a GM's work at another team and then say he's going to do the same things. But his decision with Brent Burns early on kind of scared me. Um, and then also the Parisian suitor signings, but that was more about, uh, that was more ownership stepping in and kind of forcing his hand, like, uh, like Holmgren got with Briz and everything. So, uh, but honestly, I think, I think Ian asked me, uh, executive producer, uh, Ian Forsyth, the show asked me, I think yesterday or today where I would like, what grade I'll give Fletcher so far. And I think I would give him an A, honestly, there isn't really a transaction yet that's happened where I've been like, what the fuck we're we doing? And even the biggest one I had was the Tyler Pitt, like Ryan Hartman trade, which was to start with a nothing trade. And then Tyler Pitlick's been a pretty good bottom six forward. Yeah. <laughs> and I've then, actually like, come Eric, around on Tyler Pitlick too. Yeah, it, I feel like he's pretty, he, you're right. He's, it is a happy medium. If not, my big fear was they brought him in because he was like, yeah, I'll make some trades. I'll trade whoever the fuck you want. And then they were just gonna, they weren't going to sell all the prospects, but if you're getting away from Hextall and the mentality of staying patient and drafting and development development, and you're talking about the flyers, a little bit of the old Clark style flyers sees back into your mind. And you think they're going to make some of these trades where you're giving away like first and seconds to get a guy who's going to be the four or five on defense to help this mediocre team squeak into the postseason and then lose in the first round. Like that's what I thought was going to happen immediately when they hired Fletcher was they're going to do all these hash decisions it was going to be really idiotic and they were going to make like four or five trades to just make a mediocre team to just get into the postseason and then this year they would look as good if not worse because you know the trades left in free agency or whatever but i'm happy with the way it panned out and i think i i, I think fletcher is the right guy to be the ed wade here ed wade here that's my uh that's my opinion so hopefully it comes <laughs> yeah hopefully it pans out but we'll see Definitely an Ed Wade, but hopefully that uh, Chucky two trades can be our Pat Gillick. Sure. Yeah, he, he, yeah, exactly. And he, you know, Hexel did leave him a lot to work with, but I think he has been making. I mean, and York and Brink look like good picks, and uh, the Hayes signing so far has looked well. And the the shrewd move, shrewd move of uh, adding Niskanen. I mean, to get you trader and Provorov contracts were good. Yeah. No, they're really. I mean, they both those guys. I think were under market value, and then they played. I, I mean, they played well by their contracts this year, and they're only going to get better. So everything with Fletcher is, to me, it feels pretty positive right now. And again, the way they were playing, how the team looked before all this happened. Um, you know, it's a, there's a lot of hope for next year, is what I'm saying. And I think uh, if it, if Fletcher wasn't the guy, I don't know if a lot of the other pieces that kind of turned the Flyers around this season would would have taken place or if they're substitutes instead of a Hayes, instead of AV, instead of Terry and yo, instead of uh, the willingness to play Hart as a starter, you know, if all these things don't happen, I don't think this team is where they are now. And I think the appeal to the fan base isn't there. This was a, this was a season where the, the team needed to buy the fly flyers fans back in because there were a lot of people who did not fucking care at the end of last season. So for this team to be good, I think goes a long way in terms of them buying some good faith with the fans again. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're you right want to there. rank these uh, top five. Uh, you know, put these, uh, these, uh, these in order here. 
Yeah, let's, we can do a top five real quick and uh, call it a, a night. I don't know if we necessarily I, we need to necessarily put them in order, but maybe the the top five yeah, biggest yeah. impact ones here. So I think so. Layton, if Layton makes that save, right? Right. The Layton uh, saves huge. I would say the Weber signing. The Weber is, one is huge. Yeah. Uh, not trading Richards and Carter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right? Yeah. Uh, what about? Okay, and then what about Hextall and Hextall? Do you think that's a, that would be in the top five? Hextall and you mean as far as Hextall hiring or firing Hextall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's big. And my question is: is what's bigger at the end of the day? Is the there's a couple that could be there because you've got the Pronger concussion issue, you've got the Laviolette sticking with Bob and leading to Briz issue. You know what? I think uh, Lavulet, uh pulling Bob, I think is probably that's got it. Cause that leads into the Richards and Carter, which leads into the Shea Weber um, decision as well. Right. If Bob works out, if Bob has at least, if the flyers lose, but Bob is solid, then we're looking at a very different flyers timeline. Yeah. And honestly, I remember those three goals in game two, like, they weren't goals where like Bob was letting into leaky ones. One of them was a two on L. The other one was like a he made two or three saves in a row, and there's just nobody could clear a rebound for him. So they were all goals that I, Lavi led. It may have just been a momentum thing, but then he never went back, went back to Bob. Like he kind of pinned it on Bob for having that bad period, and that kind of started everything. So um, yeah, I think that's 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 got to be a top five. Um, uh. I'll try to figure out which other one would be. I think I'm I'm pretty comfortable with with those right there. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a pretty good set. Yeah, that's a pretty good set. And I mean, we're we're missing out on the biggest one, which is of course, uh, what if uh, the Flyers had re-signed Cam Talbot, which we all know the team I mean, would have been way better with Cam Talbot instead of Brian Elliott as backup goalie. Look, you've said it. I've said it. We've all said it. This team would have won the division if they had Cam, Tal- Cam Talbot and Anthony Stolarz in that. Trade for Talbot, get Stolarz back on the offseason, roll with it. Trade hard for a couple picks, whatever. Who cares? Just go from there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I feel good about this list. I feel good about... Uh, I feel great about this list. Everything, yeah. everything we've done here. So if you have any feedback for us... Yeah. The best place is on twitter.com.org.edu.ca. You can reach Craig at Sports Are Bad. Yep, that's where you can reach me. I will have something out sometime this week. I don't know what yet. I, I have a long day of not doing anything tomorrow. So <laughs> stuff, I will probably get out something for Thursday or Friday. So. Yeah. And then we got a full on fly probably coming later this yeah, week. Yeah, we, so. we got a flight later this week. So. Yeah, yeah. If I can remember what day it is, which is often it's, difficult. It's Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, it's Tuesday. To me, it feels like it's around like eight o'clock, but it is. We're coming up on ten thirty here. So. This is I, this is very early for us. This is really early. Yeah. Usually, we're just getting started. <laughs> yeah, we're usually firing up right around now, but it's nice to actually get it all wrapped up. Yeah. Kind of early, yeah. So yeah, that's maybe why. Uh, yeah. Oh wow. Eh, well, anyway, you can reach Craig at Sports Are Bad. You can reach me at Flyperbole or at Esteban, but make it Flyperbole for all of your hockey Twitter needs. You can also follow the Flyperbole Instagram. M is making great graphics for that uh, whenever we have a new episode out. So 
good stuff all around there. Follow BSH Radio. Follow Broad Street Hockey. Shout out to all of our fellow podcasters at Broad Street Hockey or putting out Tangy Tent all the time still. There is no hockey going on to talk about, but we're all out here putting out hockey content regardless. Because we care about you, the listeners. That's why. We're all busting our asses for you guys. And also, I mean, there's not much else to do, so that's part of the reason why we're doing it. But I, I got plenty to do, buddy. I don't know about you. I got plenty to do. But I am I love the people that much that I'm still putting out two I love the people. Out. Yes. If I had a – yeah. If It doesn't matter what the situation is. I would try and get the pause to the people. <laughs> the piece to piece, yeah. There you go. The piece to piece. All right, folks. That's all we got. But thanks so much for listening. And until next time, good night and good hockey. Hello, everybody. This is Fly Purbly. It is a podcast about hockey, mostly the Flyers, but also other hockey things. Like other hockey teams that play the sport of hockey. Steve, but not Steve Hartnell. And Craig, but not Craig Ruby. No, this isn't all those hockey guys. These are the guys who watch the hockey sport. Yeah!